Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hey, friends, welcome back. Last week, I chatted with Lauren Abelin, co-founder of Kiki Milk. We talked about whether or not plant-based milk is a good option for kids, and Lauren shared her amazing journey to launch and grow a new brand in a relatively new category. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen because it will give you a lot of food for thought about dairy. So if you're like most parents, your kids are picky eaters. Maybe they refuse to eat green vegetables or any vegetable at all or they avoid certain textures and tastes, or maybe they have only a handful of foods they'll eat and you're not sure what to do. I'm right there with you. I've got one kid who often outright refuses to eat dinner and another who used to eat just about anything, but now I'm lucky if I can get her to eat a piece of fruit. And for many of us, we think, well, if I can't get them to eat better, at least they're taking vitamins. We hope that vitamins will fill in the nutritional gaps and give their immune systems a boost, especially this time of year when they're sick more often. Kids Vitamins is big business in the U.S. and shows no signs of slowing down. By 2025, the global market for gummy vitamins alone is estimated to reach $10.6 billion. And we're not only seeing new brands on store shelves, but new subscription-based vitamin companies and influencers on social media pushing these vitamins. So sifting through all the science and figuring out which kind of vitamins your kids actually need and which ones are the best isn't always easy. So if you are getting these over-the-counter supplements that just tell you, oh, give this much without any study to tell you that that is the right amount, Either you're just giving your child something that A, is not going to work, or B, you're potentially giving them something that is going to cause side effects that may be harmful. That's Dr. Krupa Playforth, a board-certified pediatrician and founder of thepediatricianmom.com. Dr. Playforth talks about nutritional deficiencies, and if kids really need multivitamins and supplements, the answers may surprise you. Plus, she talks about how to find the best and safest brand for your kid and the best way to deal with picky eating and encourage healthy eating habits. There's a lot of practical mom advice in this episode, along with the science, and I know you're going to love this interview with Dr. Playforth. Dr. Playforth, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so let's talk about your story. So I actually grew up in Malawi in Central Africa, um, and then I came to the U.S. uh, when I was 18. Thinking back then that I wanted to be a psychiatrist, I was interested in medicine, but I thought I was interested in psychiatry. Um, I worked in a baby lab when I was at college at Harvard um, doing cognitive development research on babies, and I just loved being around children. So then I thought, oh, maybe it's going to be pediatric psychiatry. But then I did my pediatric rotation when I went to med school, and, and the rest is history. Um, so I'm now I'm in Northern Virginia. I have three kids. And I have been in private practice and am working on opening my own clinic in the next year. Great. And you also have a blog website? Yeah. So I started the pediatrician mom at the start of the pandemic. What I was finding was that parents were craving information about COVID initially and that we, we just didn't know that much. And there was so much misinformation out there. It was generating a great deal of panic. And the trouble is when you Google 
you can kind of go down a rabbit hole, not just about COVID, but about everything, right? Um, and I felt like there needed to be some evidence-based, reliable resources that didn't fear monger, didn't cause parents to spiral, but still provided appropriate recommendations and just a little bit of peace of mind. Um, the other thing that motivated me to create the Pediatrician Mom was also that I felt like on a lot of moms groups and Facebook groups and things like that, what you find is that the thinking is very black and white, you know, whether you're talking about sleep training or how to discipline your kids or how to approach picky eating, for example, people have pretty black and white opinions about what the right way to approach a parenting problem is. And the truth is, based on my experience with three kids and my experience as a pediatrician, that's not always the case. There are lots of right ways to parent. And what you've got to do is find the one that is right for your kid. And it may not be the one that's right for your other kid or for another kid in another family. And so I wanted to start to push that message a little bit more. I think we need a little bit more nuance in our recommendations. Yeah, that's such a great point. I think that there's it's great that there's so much information, but at the same time, moms end up feeling almost like they're not doing a good job. They're not good enough because they hear other parents you know, following a different way of parenting. Mm -hmm. And then also it's true, right? Like you, you hear, you read all of this information. And then when you go to your pediatrician, they often have a different view of whatever it is that you're, that you're trying to tackle. And with the way our system is right now, when you only have 15 minutes to spend with your pediatrician for a well visit, and they're trying to cover everything from head to toe exams to all of the anticipatory guidance, behavior, vaccines, it's hard to find the time and the space to ask some of those questions. And you end up just getting handouts without anybody talking to you about what is right for your kid. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned COVID. I mean, so many kids are sick right now. I know my older daughter just got over COVID, a really bad bout of it this whole week. It was it was really bad. And, you know, we're seeing COVID, flu, RSV. The, you know, the pediatrician had told me they're they're seeing rates of high rates of strep. And so mm-hmm. what why is all this happening? There's probably a few different reasons, but I totally I get it. Um, we had COVID for the very first time over the December holidays, and it was like five weeks because every time one person got over it, the next person in the family got it. It was like five weeks of just misery. And um, and then my daughter woke up two days ago with ear pain. So it, it just it feels like the moment you get over something, you have like three or four days reprieve and then something else hits you. Um, now, I think that there are a lot of different reasons for that. One is the fact that probably over the last two years, because we've been distancing and masking and everybody's been a little bit more diligent about staying home when they're sick and washing their hands, this year when suddenly things have opened up, we are all just more exposed to things that our bodies haven't seen for a couple of years. And so that and and then there are young kids who have not seen some of these illnesses at all. RSV is a really good example of this. You know, um, with RSV. Most kids have been infected by the age of two. That's true historically. But because a lot of young babies didn't go anywhere in the last two years, all these pandemic babies that were just kind of at home, they're being exposed for the first time. And a lot of times when you are exposed to an infection for the first time, your body is creating the most robust immune response because it's trying to create a blueprint for how to approach that infection if it sees it again in the future. 
And so we're seeing a lot of illness. And in any community, when you have a lot of something going around, it's being it'll be spread more quickly because we are all exposed to so many different people. And of course, everybody was traveling. It was the holidays. There's just so many different factors here. I get asked all the time, well, do we think COVID or do we think that COVID infection might have impacted our immune function? And I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. I COVID is our knowledge of COVID is still in its infancy, unfortunately. And I think that it it is potentially true that it has an impact on how we how our immune systems approach other conditions. And that is concerning to think about. But it kind of goes back to this same idea that all of the people that are saying, oh, it's no big deal if kids get COVID, it's no big deal if you catch COVID. I think that until we know more about COVID, that may not be the case. And doing what you can to minimize infection while knowing that, in fact, everybody gets sick and all of us are probably going to catch COVID at some point. If we can minimize the frequency of that, I think until we know more, that's probably a good way to approach the respiratory season. Great. And do you think that this surge of illness is going to kind of taper off in the next few months or will we continue to see this happen every winter? I suspect that until the weather fully changes, this this winter is going to continue as is. And it is possible that next winter may. It's hard to know. We're seeing a lot of illnesses this winter that are typically more more summer illnesses, for example, hand, foot, and mouth, which we tend to see more in the summer and the fall, we're still seeing pretty high cases of it. So everything's been turned a little bit on its head. It's hard to know. There's no crystal ball, right? I, I wish I did know. I suspect every winter will not be like this, but we may have a couple seasons that look a little bit like this. So let's talk about vitamins. Should we be giving them to our kids to combat some of these illnesses? I get the temptation. Uh, when your kid is sick all the time and it feels like things are out of control, we want to grasp any bit of control that we can and thinking that we can do something to boost their immune systems, to help protect them. I mean, all of us are guilty of wanting to protect our kids, right? It's, that's sort of instinctive. But this idea of immune boosting is not really a thing. And the vitamins and supplements, unfortunately, particularly in the pediatric population, the evidence just really isn't there that to, to help guide us as to what to take or how much to take. Unfortunately, these supplements are not regulated and we just don't have the data that tells us for sure that they are helpful. So a lot of moms talk about elderberry in particular mm-hmm. and, and that it helps their kids. So, But you're saying there's just no evidence of that. Elderberry is a little bit of an interesting case um, because... There is some information that um, elderberry has some evidence behind it. So, you know, it's the data suggestive, but the trouble is that we still have limitations in terms of our safety understanding and our dosing understanding. So we don't know, you know, how much should we give? The the doses that you see on bottles are arbitrary because this hasn't been studied. With that said, the excitement around elderberry is based on a few specific studies. There was one in 2004 that showed that it shortened the duration of influenza by four days compared to placebo when it was given four times a day. Um, there's other studies that show that if, t- if you give it early in the course, it may compare favorably to medications such as Tamiflu. But 
And then there's actually some meta-analyses that have concluded that while elderberry may not decrease the risk of developing something, it might impact kind of the duration and the severity of something like the common cold. With that said, these studies aren't in kids. I mean, there's there's one study, I think, that I saw in a pediatric population, but it was in kids aged five plus. Um, And that study showed no real difference in the duration of severity of influenza symptoms. So we're still flying blind a little bit in pediatrics. You know, there may be some foundation to the claims about elderberry, but it's not a slam dunk. And if we don't know how much to give or how much is toxic, that's a little bit concerning, especially if you're talking about giving it to kids who are under the age of two or three years old who don't metabolize things in quite the same way that we do as adults. Yeah. And the same thing, would you say, goes for vitamin C and a and uh, zinc, things that can are we we think are supposed to boost the immune system. Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, with vitamin C, there's a little bit. There are a few studies that show that it decreases du- the duration of certain respiratory illnesses, and that makes sense. It is a powerful antioxidant. Um, it's a help support some of our natural defenses, but the, the data is a little bit. The studies aren't really robust. They're, they're not large. Um, zinc, I know a lot of people like to take zinc right at the start of an illness. And there is a little bit of evidence that shows that it decreases the duration of respiratory illnesses. But that's primarily in people who are deficient in it to begin with. Um, you know, zinc is essential for the normal function of the immune system. So it makes sense that there's these claims about it. But again, we don't know the dosing. We don't know. We know that too much of it can cause uh, problems, abdominal discomfort. It can impact your ability to smell and to taste. It has, you know, these potentially negative or toxic uh, effects, too. So it's really important to know what the safe dose is for each age. Most of our pediatric doses, most of our medications in children are dosed based on weight. Um, so if you are getting these um, over-the-counter supplements that just tell you, oh, give this much without any study to tell you that that is the right amount. Um, Either you're just giving your child something that A, is not going to work, or B, you're potentially giving them something that is going to cause side effects that may be harmful. Wow. Okay. So a lot of parents want to give their kids vitamins, supplements, because they're picky eaters and they're not getting what they need, right? Most kids are. How do we know, though, if your kid has vitamin deficiencies? Is there a test we can take? Are there signs and symptoms? I have seen a lot of stuff um, from various companies that try to capitalize on this particular question. You know, we have this fear that our kids are not getting enough. And so you can pay like a lot of money to get these tests that will potentially supposedly tell you what you're deficient in. As a pediatrician, I don't do vitamin tests very often um, because the truth is that even picky children are going to do okay when it comes to vitamins. You know, the amounts that your body needs are not that high. And as long as you have a little bit of variability in your diet, you're getting something from multiple different food groups, then the likelihood that you have a deficiency is extremely low. You know, if somebody, I think we all think about scurvy, right? Vitamin C supplements um, are something that will treat scurvy. But scurvy is a very serious illness. And though historically, those that had scurvy, the stories that we hear about, um, that we learned about as kids, are you know, sailors on long ocean voyages where they had no, ex- no fresh uh, fruit um, that they could take. 
So if you are concerned about your child's eating, it is never wrong to talk to your pediatrician, potentially to see a nutritionist, to do a food diary, to really try to nail down where what they might be missing. But I'm not sure that doing a vitamin test will really change that. You'll still, if your child is not taking in a specific food group, talking about how to do that is an important thing. Um, and whether their vitamin level is normal or not probably doesn't make a huge difference because you're still going to approach the problem in the same way, right? It doesn't change what you're going to do. Yeah, great. I love your approach. It's very comforting. <laughs> um, are there certain deficiencies that can lead to picky eating, though? It's a little hard to study that question because there's a bit of a chicken and egg problem there, right? A picky, very, very picky eater. Now, now we're talking about picky eating in the sense of ARFID or some of these conditions where um, somebody is not taking in any anything from an entire food group. Uh, those people are potentially going to have deficiencies. But is that, you know, did they get become more that way because they had a deficiency? It, it's hard to know. It's hard to study that in a really controlled fashion. Do you have a lot of patients that are typically deficient in certain things, like maybe iron? Iron is one. So we routinely will test um, infants for iron deficiency at some point between 9 and 12 months. And then here we do it. So here in my practice, we do it at age 12 months and at age 24 months. We check them for anemia and we check a lead level. Um, The iron deficiencies are something that we see sometimes in toddlers that are drinking excessive amounts of cow's milk because cow's milk does decrease iron absorption. Um, We see it sometimes in people with plant-based diets, vegan, even vegetarian, depending on what they're taking in. Um, Those are probably the most common cases where we see an iron deficiency. And then also in people who have underlying chronic health conditions that decrease their ability to absorb certain things. So celiac disease, for example, um, you know, you have some malabsorption there. And so those, those populations are ones where we might be testing something like an for iron deficiency a little bit more frequently. Um, Iron is one and B12 is another one that I sometimes will test for in people with very specific diets, particularly plant-based diets, vegan Diets are at higher risk. People who are on vegan diets are at higher risk for B12 deficiency. Vegetarian diets, it depends a little bit. Um, B12 is something we get from animal products. So if you're a vegetarian who eats, you know, a lot of eggs, for example, then you may or may not be deficient. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about who needs supplements. If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. 
More than 18,000 families have taken this course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Dr. Playfort. So do all kids need vitamins and supplements? They absolutely do not. In fact, very few kids need vitamins and supplements. Um, the, the data does not show that supplementing a child who... Even, ha- even if you have like a low level of something, a low level within the normal range is still a normal level, if that makes sense. Um, it's only if somebody is truly deficient that they need a supplements. And the way we think about that is we look at people with underlying chronic health issues, malabsorption, things like that. Um, we look at people who don't get specific um, food groups, entire food groups from their diet. So, for example, people who are vegan, who don't get any animal products, they're at higher risk for certain types of vitamin deficiencies. And then young infants um, do not get enough vitamin D through milk. So infants under the age of a year, the majority of them are going to need vitamin D supplementation unless they are drinking more than 33 to 34 ounces of formula per day, just because the formula is fortified. So we shouldn't be giving our kids a multivitamin. It's not necessary. It is not necessary. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I hear the hesitation in your voice. Yeah, no, but I I feel like so many people do, right? And what about kids who either are lactose intolerant or have the parents have eliminated dairy from their diets for a certain reason? So when you're thinking, you're thinking a little bit about calcium, right? Um, So we do have dietary recommendations for calcium intake. Um, it is fine not to get that from dairy products, but you do want to be thinking about it. The good news is that calcium is something that uh, we can make up in other from other foods. Um, you can, you know, if your child doesn't have milk, but they want to do like yogurt and cheese, that's fine. A lot of the plant-based milk alternatives are fortified now with uh, calcium as well. And those numbers are actually fairly comparable. Um, You could do calcium fortified juice. And then there's lots of other foods as well um, that have a high calcium content. So it's just something you would need to be thoughtful about if your child doesn't have one entire food group in their diet. Um, I have a 
uh, my youngest is has a milk allergy. And so we either give him ripple milk or soy milk. Recently, ripple has been hard to find. Um, and then I just I try to make sure that we have calcium rich foods in our meals um, a few times a day. Yeah, you can get it from nuts and seeds and salmon, things like that, right? Dark leafy greens. Yeah. And then what about kids who are super picky eaters and they have poor weight gain? So if your child has poor weight gain, and I think that can be kind of a triggering concept for some people, right? Because if we start to fixate on growth charts and where your child is percentile wise, that it's not necessarily the best indicator of their health. With that said, if you have a child that's falling off their own growth curve, so if they're comparing, if you compare them to themselves and their weight trajectory is what it should be, they're not maintaining percentiles, then absolutely you need to sit down with your pediatrician and figure out what is going on. Um, poor weight gain can happen for a number of reasons. You know, you might have an undiagnosed chronic issue, celiac disease, something like that. Um, it may be that it's truly severe picky eating to the point where, you know, they're eating five to 15 different foods and that's it or and they are missing entire food groups from their diet um, those things can lead to poor weight gain but there's a chicken and egg issue here as well because you can have poor weight gain um, for underlying issues and then that can then lead to your picky eating for children within these situations i do sometimes have them check certain for certain nutrients in their diet we sometimes will will um, supplement but that supplementation should be guided by a physician and a nutritionist um, who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And you talked earlier about kids who are vegetarian or vegan. So what, what should they focus on? How should they approach it? Um, So, so people who are entirely plant-based, so you are getting no animal products at all. um, You do want to make sure that you are focusing on iron intake um, because the iron that we get from um, non-animal products, uh, so what we call non-heme iron, those you the amount of iron you can absorb from those foods is much lower than the iron we can absorb from a heme iron source or an animal product. Um, so for somebody who is vegan, you want to make sure that they are getting high amounts of iron or you're doing things like using a lucky iron fish or sometimes supplementing. Um, the iron supplements don't taste that great. And they um, they can constipate some children. So trying to focus on trying to get it from your diet is a better option. Uh, B12 is another one because, as I said, B12 is something that we get from um, animal products. And so if you're not getting any animal products at all in your diet, you might need to go ahead and supplement. But again, talk to your pediatrician and, and do it very specifically and intentionally. My daughter is anemic and... We like the brand um, Nova Ferrum. Mm-hmm. That's she, one we, we use too. Yeah, we get it in chocolate and it's, you know, not a big deal. We're actually, I'm vegetarian. My kids are vegetarian, um, which was which was definitely a source of real anguish for the child that has the milk allergy because for vegetarians, a lot of times your sources of protein and, and fat and things like that can, they tend to come from dairy products and we relied on them a lot. Uh, it. It's something that you just have to be really, really thoughtful about, which is stressful in a way, but you can be healthy and have a diet like that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and so for you're saying kids don't need vitamins, but some parents <laughs> will still want to give them vitamins. And so what they should know is that 
there are no supplements on the market that are regulated by the FDA. And so how can parents find a good quality brand? I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, what they have, when, when we have studies on what is on the bottle, on the label of some of these supplements and what is actually inside the bottle, um, sometimes those things are not quite the same, which is pretty concerning to think about. Sometimes there are different levels than what the bottle says. And so you want to make sure that if you are picking a supplement, if your physician recommends a supplement, then that you are doing your research and being careful about where you are getting those products. Um, so what I would say is you don't want to be buying things from random influencers on the Internet. A lot of the influencers that are that are you know pushing certain products also happen to sell them. And looking at where your information is coming from and where that money is going is important. Um, but then also make sure that you are looking at products that have been reviewed by, say, consumer labs or um NSF International, if the if the brand has that label on there, um, U.S. Pharmacopoeia, those are some of the the uh, seals that indicate that the product, the ingredients inside the bottle are actually what the label says. So it sounds like your kids are really good eaters because <laughs> they're not. My oh, kids are okay. absolutely not really good eaters, and it is a source of anguish in my life, um, <laughs> just like any other parent. Yeah. All right. All right. But what are your best tips for encouraging healthy eating in in our picky eating kids? So I grew up in a South Asian household and our approach to how I grew up being fed is very different from how I have tried to approach feeding my own kids because, you know, there was a lot of finish what's on your plate or, you know, you if you you don't want you're not going to get dessert if you if you don't eat this. Um, and it's really hard to then as an adult break that way of thinking. Right. So you put certain foods on a pedestal. You start to give foods as treat foods. We're trying very, very hard not to have that approach, um, which is really hard if your child's also a picky eater. Um, the way I approach it is to look at eating as a shared responsibility event. Now, this approach was uh, first uh, broached by um, a woman named Ellen Satter. And if you look up at the Ellen Satter Institute, uh, she goes through, she has a lot of good literature on her website about how to do it. But essentially, Eating is shared responsibility. The parent gets to decide what is served, when it is served, and where it is served. And the child is allowed to decide whether or not they eat and how much they eat. I, we always try to have a safe food on the table. So a food that my child will eat. Um, and frequently, unfortunately, that is something like bread um, or rice. You know, those, uh, those, those foods that kids just can't get enough of. Sometimes it is cheese for my older two, but it's really hard not to fixate on what it is they do take in by trying to avoid putting certain foods on a pedestal. I'm hoping that in the long term they're going to develop a relationship with food that is a little bit healthier than what I see in a lot of myself and my peers. Um, we serve dessert with our food and we serve it without any conditions you know if there is if there's going to be say cookies with a meal or ice cream or whatever it is we serve it all together and they can decide how much they want to eat usually they can have unlimited servings of whatever is available for that meal including the dessert and i've been surprised when i'm able to do this consistently i've been surprised by 
how much less they fixate on the dessert. But if we've been, if we haven't been as good about it, then there's a lot of like, when are we having a cookie? When are we having a cookie? Is today a cookie day? Um, which, you know, I, I, this is like great in theory. I am not great about putting it in practice. Last night, you know, my kids ate pita bread for dinner. Because they didn't like what we, what I cooked. So, and I definitely was like laying in bed last night. I was thinking, oh man, you know, like all they ate is bread. Like <laughs> <laughs> I even served hummus with it, but neither of them wanted to eat the hummus. But sometimes they eat hummus. So I also try to continue to serve things because they sometimes surprise me. Um, and then we also are really working on trying to limit language around like, oh, look, you ate your hummus. What a good job. And that is hard for me to do, but it's even harder if I'm around extended family that, or, you know, has this attitude of praising for certain types of eating behaviors or labeling certain foods as bad foods or, or foods that, you know, you shouldn't eat too much of. I'm trying to, any food that you eat excess amounts of, even if it is broccoli, is probably not going to be healthy for you. And that is what I keep trying to sort of teach to my kids. Yeah, I think that you're spot on in saying that it's a long term approach, mm-hmm. right? It's a long, it's the long game. You continue to game. to introduce healthy food, and that's what your family does. And hopefully, over the long term, they will turn out to be healthier eaters than their peers. So, Doctor Playforth, it was so much fun talking to you. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? So uh, my website is thepediatricianmom.com and I do, and I put a lot of information on there. There's tons of free guides, including on picky eating, constipation, COVID, uh, what to do if your child has RSV, step-by-step instructions for rehydrating your kid if they're dehydrated, things like that. And then I put a lot of stuff on my Instagram and Facebook as well. It's at thepediatricianmom. Um, and some of the stuff overlaps with the website, but not everything. So that it, those are the places to find me. I also do um, Ask Me Anything Thursdays where parents can ask questions. Nothing is medical advice, but I like to provide generalized information that I think can help parents as they navigate the complicated world of parenting. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I love chatting with Dr. Playforth. She says, there are lots of right ways to parent, and what you have to do is find the one that is right for your kid. Such good stuff. Be sure to head on over to her website, thepediatricianmom.com, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week. 